In this episode, we focus on Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from Scripture will inspire and encourage you. In this season, Tim Dunn and Joey Willis walk through the book of Ecclesiastes, verse by verse, discussing what is being revealed about the nature of God, our world, and our most adequate response to it. Grab your Bible, some note-taking supplies, and pull up the BibleSays.com commentary on Ecclesiastes as we take a deep dive into the deep truths of Ecclesiastes. Rich with humility and hope, uncertainty and purpose, mystery and faith, this book is sure to challenge your perspective on what it means to live life well. All right, 14 through 17. I know that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it, and there is nothing to take from it. For God has so worked that men should fear him, that which is has been already, and that which will be has already been, for God seeks what has passed by. Furthermore, I have seen under the sun that in the place of justice there is wickedness, and in the place of righteousness there is wickedness. I said to myself, God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked man, for a time for every matter and for every deed is there. So again, we, we're talking about kind of the redemptive turn and how Solomon is outlining the other option here. And we cannot miss the phrase at the end of verse 14 that says, For God has so worked that men should fear him. That's the point of this whole thing, <laughs> that all of this confusion, the compulsion to understand, the eternity in our hearts, the thriving, uh, the longing, the making the most of opportunities, all of it, God has set in place so that we might fear him, so that we might love him and trust him. You know, we often talk about this uh, this idea of fearing God, and and um, we can sometimes talk about it as like a uh, like a healthy respect, which which I'm not sure is really strong enough uh, of what these the they meant by these verses, because here's the reality: fear is the other side of the coin of trust. If I trust in Kylie as my spouse, I, what I'm doing is I am relinquishing any delusion of control that I have in terms of my ability to control my spouse. And I am trusting that she's going to love me and continue to be committed to me. And that's a little bit of a scary thing. To trust somebody else is to rely on something outside of yourself. And there's a, fear is a necessary element of that. You got to be, it's a little bit scary to trust somebody. And, and if it wasn't, it wouldn't be called trust. Uh, if like you're just talking about, Tim, if, if I say I have faith that you're sitting across from me, I, no, I, I see that. That's already there. If I wasn't a little bit afraid that you might reject me, then I wouldn't be trusting you. It would be something else altogether. And so I think this is sort of the hinge of a lot of what Ecclesiastes has to say, that all of this life, the structure and created order, is set in place so that we might come to trust God. I like to think of uh, fear as what I pay most attention to and what I care most about what they think. So if you think about a, an authority figure, let's say your boss, your top, top, top boss, you really care what they think of you, and you want to be on your best behavior when they're watching, right? Why? Because you fear them. 
And there's two kinds of fear. There's fear of somebody that's going to do something bad to you, and then uh, maybe and maybe because they have a bad intent. And then there's fear of somebody that's going to do some that can do something good for you, or may withhold good from you. All all those things are uh, you know part of fear. Well, God is who He is, mm-hmm. and He's made what He's made. And and the way I take this is everybody's going to know. Everybody's going to find out. And when you, when you engage in cause effect, you're learning to fear God because you're, you're, finding, you're finding the world he made, and it is what it is. Now, you can either listen to what he tells you about it and engage with cause effect to great contentment and benefit, or you can go try to figure it out on your own. And you know what you're going to find? It's just like God said it was. Mm-hmm. And you're going to fear God one way or the other. The, the sad thing is if you insist on doing it the me way through human reason and experience, it's tragic. Mm-hmm. You're, you're still going to fear God, but you're probably not going to love God. You, but you're, what you're going to do is despair. And that's, that's what I think uh, Solomon's telling us here. And, you know, you, you can observe that in history. Uh, you know, Nietzsche is the guy who... Uh, it's famous for saying God is dead. He killed himself. Okay. Well, you know that is a logical outcome of the of the path he chose. To, to that's a path of despair. He relied on human reason and experience, and and that's that's what I, that's what I think God's telling us there. He also kind of adds going into the idea that God is God is God. In verse 16 and 17, he talks about the folly of relying on this, this world to be our system of, of justice. Uh, he says in 16, I've seen under the sun on the earth that instead of justice, there's wickedness. And instead of righteousness, there's, mm-hmm. there's wickedness. And so there is a, there's a reality to being human that we have to trust something. We're just like, we know that we're too small, whether, whether we'll say that or not. We like kind of know. So we have to trust in something. And we trust in things all the time. We trust in, you know, gravity. We trust in all sorts of things. Uh, and so if we put our trust in these worldly systems, what Solomon is saying here is that they're, they're messed up. They don't work. They're not, they're not the solution. Um, God, and then he follows in 17 by saying God is the one who's going to judge uh, God is the is the one who determines what constitutes justice and what constitutes wickedness, uh, and and he's gonna he's gonna be the arbiter of of that. And so I think part of part of what he's highlighting in this in this section, these last couple of verses of this part, Kylie read is, mm-hmm. hey, m- trust in God, you know, fear God, lean into God, because the systems of this world are not sustainable and they're going to lead to madness and wickedness in and of itself and, and your own sense of, of confusion. Uh, this, this world isn't going to just like figure it out and put together perfect systems of peace. That's what the kingdom of God is intended to do. It's intended, you know, uh, when the new Testament talks a lot more than we even realize, I think about the dichotomy between the kingdom of Caesar and the kingdom of God. And what it's saying is like the kingdom of Caesar is about these like personal um, 
power, authority, structures. The kingdom of God is about servant leadership. It's about serving one another. And, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. But but they're saying the very thing that you're saying is like, we've got a, uh, Kylie and I were just in Wyoming. And when you are watching a like herd of, of elk, they have a lead cow, right? They've got somebody that that goes up to the road and waits to see what's happening. And the whole rest of the herd is kind of waiting back to see <laughs> what that lead cow is doing. And when that lead cow decides to dart across the road, the rest of the herd hurries up to get to get to where they're doing. And so seeking justice in this world is a good thing, yeah. obviously. But we've got to make sure that the kingdom of God is our lead cow and that that is what is, uh, you know, the rest of the herd is following, the rest of the herd being fighting for justice in this world, the way we steward our own lives, any sorts sorts of things like that. Yeah, but, well, and you're right. Seeking justice in this world is good, but putting our hope in humans being able to figure out and create a perfectly just system is backwards and is not good. And so we need to put our hope in something bigger than just creating or finding justice in this world. Usually when people... Um, demand justice of one kind, it creates injustice and other kind. Uh, it's just because of our limitations. Uh, you take away, <clears throat> you take away freedom from one group to help another group, and all you're doing is shifting the pain around often. Now, you know, there's certainly uh, government has a, a, a need to put boundaries in. That was sure. Genesis 9, but um, where God instituted human, human government. But the key thing I think here that gives me comfort is God will judge hmm. the, the the wicked and the righteous. So, you know, the, it can often be really frustrating because injustice is happening, really frustrating, mm -hmm. especially when that injustice wraps itself in the cloak of justice, mm -hmm. which happens all the time. And it's just, it can be downright demoralizing and frustrating, but... Nobody's getting away with anything. <laughs> Speaking of that idea that like no, there's nothing new under the sun, a, a few years ago I decided I don't know really anything about the French Revolution. Sounds like a nice thing, a revolution. So I, I studied it for a little bit, and Tim, what you're describing is just, uh, just absolutely um, epidemic in the French Revolution. There, the, it starts with this with this this idea of fighting injustice and then it quickly becomes its own form of tyranny and then uh, the new regime gets overthrown by new Another justice revolution. fighters and those mm -hmm. new rebels put up their own there's like six mm -hmm. different governments within a ten, which is why it makes space for Napoleon to come in and just yeah. be like mm -hmm. I'm taking over everything and by that point they're just glad to have somebody that's mm -hmm. confident um, but it, it's yeah we're we tend to kind of have a hyper focus on injustice as we see it, and we don't do as well at seeing injustice as we would carry it out, which yeah. is dangerous. Yeah. So, and justice, justice in, in the scripture is harmony. And when you try to bring harmony around my opinion or a group of people's opinions, it always misfires. <clears throat> if you bring harmony around God's ways, then you can then you can actually make something happen that's that's that works. So ultimately that's what's gonna happen, mm -hmm. which which we can take great hope in. All right, let's finish off with verses eighteen through twenty two. 
I said to myself concerning the sons of men, God has surely tested them in order for them to see that they are but beasts. For the fate of the sons of men and the fate of beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. Indeed, they all have the same breath, and there is no advantage for man over beast, for all is vanity. All go to the same place. All came from the dust, and all return to the dust. Who knows that the breath of man ascends upward, and the breath of beast descends downward to the earth? I have seen that nothing is better than that man should be happy in his activities, for that is his lot. For who will bring him to see what will occur after him? So the Bible talks a lot about how God uses the weak things of the world to, to, to kind of shame the strong. And so I think it's part of, of what uh, we're being reminded of here is that, you know, uh, just like the animals, uh, we, are, we are created by God. And just like the animals, our time is finite. There are some unique things uh, to us, to the animals, which is pretty obvious. But what Solomon is trying to say here is that we are still small things. And that's not meant to be a discouragement necessarily. It's meant to be a reminder that we have a particular part to play. And when we think that we have a part to play that's outside of those boundaries, uh, we drive off the cliff of, of madness and this chasing after the wind. But if we stay in the realms of what reality actually is, we give ourselves the opportunity to steward this life well uh, and to participate in the kingdom of God. Now, it's interesting that Paul said, I have learned how to be content in whatever circumstances I'm in. And I wonder if he got that from Solomon because mm-hmm. he says, I've seen that nothing is better than that a man should be happy in his activities. Mm-hmm. So that's a choice. That is a choice. It's de- it's deciding I'm going to enjoy what I'm doing. And what we tend to do, especially in a consumer economy that we're in here in America, uh, we're c- constantly promised, if you'll buy this, then you'll be happy. Um, I can't remember who it was, but somebody talked about the Happy Meal. You know? <laughs> yeah. Think about the promise embedded in that, right? Right. If I can just buy this sack with a little toy and a hamburger, then I will be happy. Well, did it work? Is Did that actually make you happy? Are you still playing with that toy, Joey? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> but but if, we ha- if we enjoy our activities, we, we can actually enjoy everything we do. Mm-hmm. It's a choice to enjoy what we do. Um, you know, um, you, you guys are struggling with infertility, and you would like to have a child. Uh, you know, it's going to be a challenge to enjoy those activities involved with that. Um, and then and then, if you have a baby, it's going to be an even greater challenge <laughs> to enjoy those activities. Uh, we're just going through now, one of our grandkids um, had a you know, paralysis in his intestines, had to have a feeding tube, pulled the feeding tube out, they had to constrain him. Very, very difficult circumstances, really, really traumatic. It's hard to say, I'm going to enjoy those activities. But that's, that's what we're invited to do here. Uh, it's kind of like James 1, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. And the, the key thing is, this is something we decide. We decide, are we going to be happy or are we not going to be happy? Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, blessed really is makarios, happy. You're happy 
if you do these things. And all those things don't seem all that happy of activities, but you're choosing to do that uh, because of what it's getting, because of where it's taking you. Yeah, so Tim mentioned this before, but this verse starts out with with a bit of self-talk. He did some, Solomon did some self-talk evaluating uh, what was going on in his own life, and now he's evaluating uh, humans in a, in a collective sense. And so we said earlier that some of, we said in our very first episode that Solomon takes this uh, at times as an individual endeavor, very personal to his own experience, and then sometimes he kind of zooms out and views all of humanity. But what he's doing here, watching the sons of men, he's, he's seeing the patterns not only in his own life, but in what, what, he, what seems to be consistent him to him in the human experience. And then kind of go back to the be happy in his own activities, he follows on with, for who will bring him to see what will occur after him? So be happy in the process. Don't, don't obsess about the results. You don't know what's going to turn out. So just be happy in, in the process. Don't put your faith in a particular result. Be, be content in the process. Enjoy the process. If you do, you'll have, you'll have enjoyment. If you put your faith in the result, often that result isn't going to happen. It's not going to turn out the way you thought it would. And if it does, that's not the end anyway. It won't be fulfilling. So just enjoy, enjoy the journey. And we were talking about outcomes. This is, here's something that just makes it clear how entrenched we are with this obsession with outcomes is a lot of people, me included to some degree, are hearing what we're saying and like, how do I, like, you're saying I can choose, how can I choose to be content mm-hmm. when this is going on, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And we take that posture. And the, the one of the issues with that is that whatever this is, Right now, feels big for us. Infertility is the this right now, yeah. but whenever infertility ends, there's going to be another this, and it's mm. going to feel just as strong. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes they, they're really tragic things, um, and, and sometimes they aren't. But we always feel like there's a circumstance that I, I can't be content while this is happening. But the reality is, it is a choice. The Bible mm-hmm. talks about peace that passes understanding. That's it. That's it right there. And it is an option. We can be thankful. We mm. can rejoice in our sufferings. It feels so impossible to us, but it's just a choice away. It can happen, and we can strive at the same time. And we do both of those by faith because maybe we're hap- unhappy because injustice is happening. We can be happy in our activities trying to bring about justice. Mm. Okay? So we don't have to see the result to be happy. We can be content in the pursuit of whatever God's put in our path to do. Well, and there's a powerful example of that when Jesus says, take this cup from me, mm-hmm. but not my will, but yours be done. Yeah. He's asking for, you know, this a sense of longing mm-hmm. of uh, a different path mm-hmm. to justice. And he's kind of acknowledging the injustice of what's about to happen. But he also says, yeah. I, you know, I belong to you. I'm committed to you. I trust in you. And that that's a perfect example of he's content, while even while he's miserable, mm-hmm. and he's he's trusting at the same time, and that that and he's striving, and the and the thing that holds those two together is faith. He has faith that what his father wants is in his ultimate best interest, and that's kind of that's kind of the crux of all this. Do we believe 
that what God's asking it is to do is really in our best interest. Um, and as looking at that Hebrews 10, 6, or 11, 6 verse, that without faith it's impossible to please him. You must believe he is and be a, that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Do we actually believe that what God has for us in seeking him later, perhaps, or perhaps spiritually now, is better than whatever tangible benefit I can see that I can gain from the world now through trusting something else. That, that's, that's basically the choice we constantly have to make. Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening.